podcast with me your host crystal where i talk about anything and all horror on this podcast i give you my honest and horrific opinion on a different horror movie each week i drop spoilers i never lie i always keep it real sometimes i do specials and sometimes i have co-hosts so to keep up with all things horror and the horror and it's in podcast please join my twitter family by following me at Horror Daddies Are Us. I have a ton of fun over there and I love interacting with you guys and chatting, so please join in. And yes, the official Blumhouse Twitter already made fun of my Twitter handle. <laughs> also, be sure to follow my podcast on whatever app you use. I am available uh, for your listening pleasures on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube. So as you guys know, this is the second week of March, a madness movie month. And before we get into the winter, um, I'm kind of just want to, you know, hang out, chill, talk a little bit with you guys. So um, if you do follow me on Twitter, uh, thank you. Hello. And um, I love you being here. But I also have been working super hard on some new content. But that content is only available on my Patreon page. Yes, guys, I have made a Patreon page to help myself and to help you give you better episodes. So I will have um, my Patreon page linked below. I actually just put up my first mini episode, um, and that's for the $5 tier and the $10 tier. So I will be putting up mini episodes every single Friday. Um, And so what I decided that I'm going to do is whoever loses in the March Madness for that week, I will still be doing an episode on it, but it's going to go over on my Patreon channel. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping, um, that you guys will jump into that as well. Um, be a part of my Patreon family, so to speak, um, because you're all here in my Twitter family and my SoundCloud family, my iTunes family. And, um, I think that's, yeah, that should be the only place my podcast is at. (laughs) So, um, yes, if you guys want a bunch of cool stuff, uh, check out my Patreon page. Um, I'm going to do, not only am I doing mini episodes, I'm also going to be doing full episodes episodes. Um, there's also some other really cool perks and fun things over there. So if you want to go check that out and be part of my Patreon family, I'll love you forever. I'll love you even if you don't join it because, um, my regular podcasts will always be free and they'll always be on a platform that's available to you guys. But of course, with added bonuses, um, on my Patreon channel. So the reason I find Patreon super important, especially to someone like me is because, uh, I am a one woman show. Um, you know, I do have co-hosts sometimes you guys know I have specials here and there, but for the most part, I'm the only one who runs this. So I watch the movie, I make the notes, I edit, I record, I upload. Um, so it does take a lot of my time but I love it. I love every second second of doing this, guys. This is something that is my passion, and obviously I would do it if I wasn't getting paid because I've been doing it without any kind of income from podcasting since October of 2018. Um, so I'm perfectly happy doing this the way that I'm doing it now. Um, but, you know, I it, of course anybody, everybody always wants a little bit of, you know, extra cash flow, um, especially for doing something they passion about. Because I, when I started my podcast, I really just wanted to do it so that I, I could use my creative part of my mind and not feel like I was, you know, wasting time watching Netflix all day. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you, you understand where I'm going here. <laughs> I'm a very creative person. I love doing things and creating things. And I love 
um, marketing and I love social media and I love horror movies, obviously. And I really think that Patreon is a way to kind of finance those things so that I can really focus on it because leads me into my next story. Um, my MacBook <laughs> that I've had for five years decided to crash on me yesterday and I cried. <laughs> uh, like tears just streamed down my face and I was just like, uh, I have to go get a new MacBook because I obviously need to record my podcast and I need to make sure that I'm sending out content and I don't want it to be an excuse as uh, I, I didn't want to use an excuse. Um, and I know that you guys are amazing and you would understand if I had to, you know, hold off on episodes for a little bit, but that's not what I wanted to do. So my old MacBook, um, poor thing. I got it when I was, uh, in college. I think it was my last semester of college. I got it. And so it's almost five years old. And, um, I had spilled coffee on it mm, six or seven months ago and I was able to take it apart and clean it and it worked fine. Uh, the number nine didn't work and, and, uh, the power button was kind of sticky, but other than that, it, it worked fine. And then, uh, two weekends ago, I was on my computer and all of a sudden the keyboard stopped working and, um, I took it apart again and I cleaned it and it seemed like I could use the keyboard, but when I would push certain buttons, it would make another button, you know, like it would, like I push one button for like the S and it would come up like SA or, you know, I would hit the letter, I would hit the button for T and it would come up like TY. So I know that I fried my keyboard processor and, but I was making it work. You know, I was able to, to still use the MacBook. Um, and I took off the password protector because, um, obviously my keys were not working and I knew that the password wasn't going to work. So (laughs) I was like, all right, well, let me just take the password protector off. Um, and then I started, playing around with my privacy settings. And if you have a MacBook, you understand what I'm about to say and how I royally screwed myself. I turned on the file vault. I think that's what it's called. So it's an extra layer protection because, um, I was getting weird downloads on my MacBook and I, and I was paranoid that something was, was in my computer. So I ran a malware scan and it actually did find some things. Um, and So I went to go restart my computer and because I had this file vault thing on when I finally got it to restart because it had frozen, um, it showed up as, as password locked and MacBooks are keystroke sensitive when it comes to their passwords. So I was able to figure out how to put my password in, but like I said, because Macs are keyboard sensitive or keyboard stroke sensitive, keystroke sensitive, can I, how many times am I going to say that word? (laughs) Um, It said the password was invalid, even though technically on the screen it was right. Um, so, and ever since, so I brought it to Best Buy, they couldn't even get it turned on at that point. So I was just like, oh my goodness. So I ended up buying a brand new MacBook Air, which I'm very grateful for because it is a beautiful computer. And my, my old MacBook, it was, it was old. It was almost five years old. Um, and the keyboard didn't work, and even the port where I used to plug the power cord in was going. But, you know, I was trying to make it work. I I, I made it work for a little while, and then I just, you know, it, it, it took a poop on me. So, but it's okay. It's okay. Now I have a brand new pretty one, and I'm actually using um, GarageBand now. Um, for a long time, I used Audacity, which is a great program um, if you're looking for a free recording Um application. Um, but I am more familiar with GarageBand. So I'm excited that I do have a new MacBook, even though of course it kind of came at a price, very hefty price, but it is what I am most familiar with. So moving on from that. (laughs) So as I said, in the beginning of the podcast, this is obviously about Requiem for a Dream. Now, You just believe me or not. (laughs) I hope that you believe me. (laughs) Yesterday was actually the first time I have ever seen this movie. Now, of course, I've heard about it. I obviously know the director. 
not personally or anything, that'd be kind of cool. But, um, I have heard about this movie for years and I've had people I work with and, you know, my friends say, Oh, have you ever seen this movie before? And I kind of am always like, eh, you know, I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. And of course there's very, very, very iconic shots from this movie that as soon as I see them, I know that it's from the movie. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump right into it here and I'm going to say, this movie was super hyped up and I was a little afraid it was going to have the Poughkeepsie tape effect, which is if you listen to my other episodes, then you know that I was so excited to, to watch the Poughkeepsie tapes. And when I watched them and reviewed them, um, with my co-host Patrick at the time, my, my guest co-host at the time, um, I was very underwhelmed and, uh, I just, it, it, didn't do what I what I expected it to do. So I was I was scared to watch this movie because I had heard so many things about it and I wanted to like the movie and guys this movie delivered. It did exactly what people were saying that it was going to do. Um it resonated with me. It still does. Uh yes, I only watched it 24 hours ago. But the thing is um this movie just really like obviously we're gonna get more into it but it lived up to the hype I guess is what I'm trying to say and I'm very excited and happy that it did do this because I'm glad that I enjoyed the movie as well too and I'm excited to get into this but I just wanted to kind of talk about that for a little bit because I had never seen this movie before and I am glad that I did watch it there were some parts that were obviously a bit hard to watch but overall the movie is incredible and I would watch it again um but I would probably watch it with um someone who's never seen it before instead of kind of just watching it again myself it's not particularly you know your feel-good Saturday night movie (laughs) but I think it's one that people should watch at least once in their life because it is it is so true um the effects that drugs can have on your life. So, so we are going to do a little bit of a different kind of setup. I'm going to do more of what I do with Black Swan because along with this movie or along with Black Swan, a lot of people have seen Requiem for a Dream. So I'm not going to go into a super detailed, you know, summary of the movie. I'm going to focus more on the themes and then I'm going to go through the four different characters and we're going to kind of talk about them a little bit. Um, But of course, before we get into that portion of the podcast, we got to start with the Rotten Tomatoes and the IMDb rating. So Rotten Tomatoes gave this movie a 79% with 93% of the audience liking it. And IMDb gave this movie an uh, 8.3 out of 10. So this movie was directed and written by Darren Aronofsky. Um, It was also based on uh, the novel by Hubert Selby Jr. It was released October 6, 2000 worldwide. It's rated R and has a running time of 101 minutes. So just a quick synopsis of the movie. Uh, This drug-induced utopias of four Coney Island people are shattered when their addictions run deep. So... As I said, we're going to be doing uh, the themes of the movie, and then we're going to move into a lot of the uh, character analysis of the four um, main junkies. (laughs) So the themes of this movie... Uh, consists of, of course, mental illness, which goes with the theme for the month, acceptance in society, uh, loneliness, racism, um, and deterioration of the characters. So we have our four main characters. We have Tyrone, Marion, Harold, Harry, uh, and Sarah. So I'm going to start with Tyrone who is played by Marlon Wayans. So his story actually revolves of course around heroin and um it also is through it we it also is an underlying of a mother-son story so basically what happens um is you know tyrone and harry are best friends who are trying to make a profit um they want to become drug dealers to make a shit ton of money by cutting their product um 
so he's pretty much your run of the mill, um, you know, heroin addict who, who wants to feed his addiction as well as make money while doing it. So of course everybody knows that drug dealing is dangerous. Um, so then we have Tyrone who has the underlying story of his mother, as I said previously. And we also have, um, him kind of just doing whatever he can to make the profit. Um, he then there him and Harry are actually able to score the dope and they do start making a profit and they start, you know, getting recognized by the, by the big guys. And, um, we see he's in the back of a limo with, with, I assume some pretty high up drug Lords and he's, um, he's cutting a deal with them to try and sell this dope, sell dope from them too. And the drug deal goes bad. And we find out that the Italians are moving into, um, Brooklyn and kind of taking over the drug trade. He then flees the scene, you know, gunfire happens. He flees the scene and he ultimately gets arrested. So then we have um, him in jail, and and Harry comes and bails him out and basically has to use almost all of the money that they had made over the summer selling drugs in Brooklyn to all the different, um, you know, heroin addicts. So we obviously have him, uh, they're just scrounging. They're trying to find heroin. They're trying to do these things. And all the meanwhile, we have this, we're not, there's not too much that we know about Tyrone other than that he had, um, when he was younger, he had visions of making his mother or his grandmother proud. I'm not a hundred percent on that. I I'm pretty sure it was either his, his mother. So he's sitting on the lap of a woman and he's saying, you know, I'm going to make something of myself. And, um, we obviously know that the, that the deathly grip of drugs and heroin have, have, have basically taken over Tyrone at this point. And, um, they're just desperate to, to find these drugs. So they decide that they're going to go to Florida because (laughs) that's where they think the drugs are. So they start, um, driving to Florida. They're about halfway there. Harry has an infection in his arm and Tyrone is just like, man, I got to get you to the hospital. So they bring a uh, Tyrone brings Harry to the hospital. Now, while he's in the hospital is when we start to get the separation of him and Harry. So, uh, the doctor then sees Harry and sees that his arm is severely infected and he immediately calls the police. The sheriffs show up, arrest both of them. Um, they are carted off to jail. And this is kind of when they're both extremely dope sick. Like Harry's arm is severely infected. Um, and Tyrone is just like, you know, I need help. My friend needs help. And, um, we see that there's, they get separated ultimately because Harry is carted off to get his arm chopped off as we know that. And Tyrone is kind of left with himself and he is in jail, severely, severely dope sick, sweating profusely, trying to work. We see that he is throwing up. Um, and the last scene that we get of Tyrone is actually him laying in his bed, um, in his cot, his jail cot, just sweating, still very extremely dope sick and is just crippled by the pain that he feels that he let down his mother or his grandmother. Um, and obviously guys, I'm, I'm only focusing on Tyrone right now. So I'm just kind of going through the whole movie, but I just wanted to focus on, we're going to do obviously a lot of character analysis. So I, liked Tyrone. I thought he was a good, um, I thought it was a good, you know, counterpart to Harry. Um, and you know, because not only is he dealing with the color of his skin and the way that he's being treated in jail, um, he also just has this failed sense of accomplishment and letting down his family. And, ultimately becoming the person that he never really wanted to. So basically he's now a statistic. So now he is, you know, a colored man who's in jail because of drugs. And that is not the person that he wanted to be. Whereas in the summertime, he was literally on living the high life. Um, they were making a ton of money and he was able to, you know, furnish his drug habit and also make the profit. But of course, the drug life is unpredictable, which is when I said earlier how the Italians came in and they they basically took over the drug trade and they were a bit, 
holding the drugs hostage. So no one was able to purchase any kind of drugs except for a certain time at a certain place, you know, when things went awry because junkies want their fix. And it was just a spiraling, you know, series of events of unfortunate events for Tyrone. So, and I actually, which I forgot to say in the beginning, I loved that I saw Marlon Wayans in a serious role like this because the first time I was introduced to him was actually a scary movie. Now, don't get me wrong. I love scary movie. I thought it was hilarious. I still watch it to this day, um, but I had never seen him in a serious role before. So I was, I was like, oh, that's the guy. That's one of the Wayans brothers. You know, I, I know him from white chicks and scary movie. So I thought that was, um, it was cool to see him play such a serious role. Now, of course, he did have his same little mannerism and his antics as he would in the normal movies, but um, overall, I, I did like him as a character, and um, I thought he played the role really, really well. So now we're going to move on to Jennifer Connelly, a.k.a. Marion, in this movie. So I actually know her from a couple other movies, um, but the theme for her I really wanted to focus on, uh, what I have in my notes, it literally says, clean to dirty junkie. So she plays the role of Harry's girlfriend. Um, They have a cute relationship in the beginning that's kind of fueled by their addictions and their bad decisions. But in the beginning of the movie, it's a very carefree, kind of immature relationship, as you can see when they go up onto the roof and she trips the, the the wire so the alarm goes off and they have to like run out holding hands making out it was cute it's a very high school relationship I, I guess you could say um we also find out that Marion um has a very wealthy father um and that she sees a therapist um and she's obviously as I said she's aided by her parents financially um she doesn't seem to be that into um the drug worlds yet, but none of them do in the beginning. Um, and we see that Marion is also in a connection with a very wealthy man who she goes out to dinner with to kind of save face with her parents. Um, so she's going out to dinner with him and we can see that he's a little bit sleazy already. Cause he's kind of the way that he's talking to her and the way that he's saying things. Um, but she has the upper hand and she's kind of just like doing it. So like I said, so that she can save face with her father. So her father will continue to pay for her apartment and, um, her therapy sessions, which she stops going to. So we also have, um, her relationship with Harry, as I said before, and it seems like I said, it's a very carefree relationship. They, she has this dream of opening up a clothing store and Harry, you know, is just, is saying, Oh, I know how we can do it. I'm going to score some dope and then we're going to cut it ourselves and sell it. And we're going to make a lot of money. And Marion is totally for the idea because, you know, she wants to be able to find her own identity outside of her father's money. Um, so they start to sell the heroin, and of course, they all start to use it more, which is why this movie spirals into darkness and to, you know, the descent of, of madness, so to speak. Um, and they all start to just become junkies. And it gets to the point, as I mentioned before in, in Tyrone's story, that the, um, the heroin stops. Uh, the Italians have come in and they are all super dope sick. Um, so we also see that iconic camera scene of the camera spiraling into Harry and Marion. So as they are extremely high. So as I mentioned, the dope is running out, the money is running out, and Tyrone tells them of a guy who trades uh, heroin for money. Now, they don't really do anything with this yet. This is just important to know for further into the movie. So then we have, um, they're just, it's desperate times, desperate measures kind of thing. So Harry is basically telling Marion that she needs to meet up with the, with the skeezy guy I'd mentioned earlier to try and get some money off of him because Tyrone also knows that there will be heroin in the Brooklyn area in a couple of days, but it's apparently double the price. And of course they don't have any more money cause they used it to bail Tyrone out. So, um, Harry is putting his girlfriend into a very, uh, terrible situation because they don't have any money, but this guy could possibly give her money 
if she has sex with him. So Marion does it. She goes out to dinner with this with this lazy guy, and she ends up, you know, having sex with him to to get some money. So she goes back to the apartment. And you can just tell that she feels just gross, disgusted. She didn't want to do it. But, of course, the addiction of the heroin took over and she had she just did it anyway because she needs her fix. So she goes back to her apartment um, and she gives the money to Harry. And then Harry and Tyrone then take off to Florida. So now Marion is completely by herself. And she does have a, a phone conversation um, with Harry while they're traveling. And, um, you know, she says like, how long is it going to be? And he says, it's going to be a few days. And in retrospect, a few days is not that long, but when you're a heroin addict and you have to constantly be using every, every few hours, so you're not getting dope sick. This is like a death sentence to her. So, as I, as I mentioned earlier, Tyrone told them about a guy that um, trades sex for heroin. And Harry wrote down the phone number on the back of a photo. Now, this is where irony, the theme of irony comes in. <clears throat> because he wrote the phone number on the back of a photo of them in front of a possible storefront for her store. So, which is where this all started. Um, it's very sad irony because <clears throat> he basically wrote down a phone number of a man who is going to give her drugs to have sex with him. Um so we can see that she's contemplating with herself to do it. She doesn't want to do it. She, at least with the first guy, when she scored the money off of him, she knew him. But this is completely different territory. She has absolutely no idea who this guy is. She literally just has a phone number. So she, we can see that she's, you know, pacing back and forth. She's destroying her apartment also in the same, in the, in, in the same time, um, just going crazy because, you know, you need her fix as a, as a drug addict. And we then see her get on her phone. She calls the number. We hear somebody say hello. Um, she hangs up. And then a couple seconds later, she picks up the phone again and she calls back. And we hear the same voice say hello. And then her voice kind of comes out very, very uh, low. And she kind of just says hi. And then we just hear the guy on the other line start laughing. So now we see that Marion is getting ready to go meet this person that she has no idea who he is. I assume all she has is an address. Her phone rings and it's Harry. And she's basically pleading with Harry, telling him to come back that night. And... Oh no, my apologies. Guys, I'm doing this all from memory. I usually have a lot of notes when I do this, but I'm, I'm trying to to do a new way of podcasting to make it a little bit easier. <laughs> um, so we see that she goes and she meets this guy and his name is, I believe his name was little John. So she, little John. So she goes and meets him and she has sex with him and he gives her heroin. Um, before she leaves, he does say, um, I'm, you know, I'm having a get together on Sunday. You know, I'd like to see you there. And he calls her maid Marion. So it seems like all the girls that, come have sex with him for drugs. He probably obviously gives them nicknames and that's just her nickname. Um, so then in this next scene with Marion, uh, she is, she, she basically tells little John that she has plans on Sunday and she's not going to be there. Um, and he kind of just laughs and he doesn't believe her and he says, Oh, I'll see you there. Um, and then we, <laughs> then we have our next scene, which is the scene where she's in the bathroom. It's Sunday. She's getting ready. She hasn't heard from Harry. Um, and obviously she's dope sick again. She needs her fix. She's getting ready and the phone rings and it's Harry and she's pleading with him to come back. She's saying, please just come back tonight. And he says, I'll come back tonight. But obviously she knows, he knows, we all know that he's not coming back because he's literally about to get his arm chopped off. So <laughs> um, I also just wanted to make a note here too that Marion's appearance is completely different from the beginning. So in the beginning, when we first meet her, her hair is down, it's free flowing. She's beautiful. She has, I mean, mind you, she's beautiful in the scene too, but she, she has a very, 
um, clean face. She doesn't have any makeup on. You know, she her she's got you know rosy cheeks, and she's you know her hair is blowing in the wind. And um, we see now that her face is very gaunt, and her face uh, she's got you know her hair pulled back in a in a tight ponytail, and she has black makeup on. And just like I said in the beginning, she goes from a very clean junkie to a very dirty junkie. And when I say that, I mean like the clean face to the face full black makeup. Um, so she's crying on the phone with Harry as she's continuing to get ready because we all know that Harry is not coming back and she's going to go to this party. So then she goes to this party and of course it's a very sleazy, disgusting, nasty uh, sex party with all these men dressed in suits, um, surrounding these two, you know, her and this other girl that are performing sexual acts for them and they're hooting and they're hollering and they're throwing money at them and they're telling them what to do. Um, and then we have her leaving and this sex party, she has her heroin. And then the last scene we have of her is her on her couch and um, she's smiling and she's clutching this bag of heroin. And we can just tell that from here on out, she's just going to prostitute herself until, until, you know, she gets caught or she dies or, you know, she decides to get clean. So once again, a very sad, a very lonely, very tragic story of how heroin has yet again ripped into this person's life. Um, and... It was, it was, it was a lot happening all at once, but I just wanted to make sure that I am giving this movie justice by trying to break it down into these characters. So let's move on. We're going to move on to Harry, who is the, um, son of Sarah and is the boyfriend to Marion. So Harry, his character, I liked him, um, he was good, but I mean, we have the first scene of the of the movie um, with him, you know, banging on his mother's door to to come in and sell her TV so that he and he and Tyrone can go get high, um, and that's kind of the first the opening scene of the entire movie is him saying like, "Come on, ma, like I'm your own flesh and blood. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, lock me out?" <laughs> um, that was my terrible impression of a New York accent. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> so then we have him like rolling the TV to the pawn shop and. And if I'm correct, I'm pretty sure the pawn shop owner is the same guy that's in Black Swan who is, like, doing nasty stuff on the subway to Natalie Portman. I'm pretty sure that's who it is. Um, but anyway, moving on, I just noticed that. I thought it was funny that Darren Aronofsky obviously uses, you know, the same actors, at least for, for small parts like that. Because the guy in, in the subway in, uh, um, in Black Swan was a very small part. And then the pawn shop owner is obviously, he's only in like a few scenes in the beginning of the movie, but I recognize his face. Um, cause he is in a lot of movies. So anyway, we have Harry who, um, is dating Marion and, you know, he also has this grand idea that they're going to buy this dope and they're going to cut it with whatever they want to, they're going to sell it and they're going to make a profit, which they do. Um, we also have a very strained relationship between him and his mother, Sarah. Um, he obviously does not visit her very often. Um, he doesn't really do much for her. He is kind of a shitty son because he is a heroin addict, um, but he's not a huge heroin addict. In the beginning of the movie, obviously, it spirals as they continue to... Um, be more into the drug scene. Um, so his, his, I did like his character. Um, but of course I, I feel like the, the, the female characters in this movie, um, hold a lot more of a presence for me. Um, so let me just check my notes. Um, yeah, Harry, he truly loves his mother, but he's just so addicted to drugs. Um, that he is basically doing and using, the females in his, in his life to, to score. So as I said earlier, how he was basically, um, telling Marion that she needs not telling her, but suggesting that she sell her body for money. And then he sell her body for drugs, uh, because they were desperate. They, they, they were dying from dope sickness. Um, and we also have him, um, 
his infected arm, which is obviously one of the more iconic scenes of this whole movie is Harry's infected, disgusting arm. (laughs) Um, So we first start to see that obviously he's injecting intravenously. He's intravenously using heroin and he's injecting into his arm and we start to see get a little infected, but obviously he doesn't do anything about it. Um, and as they're on there, as he, he and Tyrone are on their way to Florida to try and score dope um, with the money that Marion made them when she had sex with the first guy, um, we see that um, they pull over to the side of the road and <laughs> the scene is so gross. Um, and they they basically take a hit of their of their heroin and he injects it into his infected arm. And you guys, I can watch horror movies. I can watch nasty shit happen in horror movies. But when it comes to needles and arms with heroin and with anything, even guys, even when I go get blood work done, I'm just like, oh, like I can't even look. I, I have tattoos. So don't <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm OK with those kinds of needles. But I had to go get blood work done maybe like a month ago, and um, she had to, she obviously put the needle in my arm, and I just couldn't look. And I was just like, ew, 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 ew. So, and, and I love watching, like, drug documentaries. I mean, I don't love them. I find them interesting. Um, and anytime that somebody shoots up in their arm, I cannot look. I don't know what it is. So this scene literally made my skin crawl that I couldn't look. So I couldn't even tell you, honestly, I'm telling you guys, I watch everything for you and I give you my honest and horrific opinion. But when it comes to this, when it came to that scene, I could not watch it. So I'm not hundred percent sure if they actually show the needle going into the infected arm. I think they do. And of course, Aronofsky is known for his zoom in effect. So he probably zoomed all the way into the arm and I was just like no I can't do it I'll literally throw up <laughs> so anyway that's probably the only thing that I cannot watch when it comes to horror movies um so his arm starts to get he's just getting more and more his arm's just getting more and more infected finally as I said earlier Tyrone rushes him to the hospital so he's in the hospital and he's talking to the doctor and he's saying like dude it's my arm it's my arm doc it's my arm and he lifts up his sleeve and then we it's just so disgusting <laughs> And I was just like, oh, my God. So then um, the doctor calls the, the the police. The police throw him into jail because, obviously, being a drug addict is illegal, which I've never heard of. But then again, whatever. Um that was that was sarcasm, guys. I know. <laughs> so now they're in jail, and he's extremely dope sick. He's literally dying because I believe it's probably blood poisoning. It's probably from a dirty needle, um, or it could be you know hepatitis or something like that. I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm sure if I had looked into, um, I'm sure if I have if I had looked into um, more of what happens, then then obviously it would. Um, no, but yes, there's a lot of diseases you can get when you use dirty needles. So anyway, moving on from that. So we see that he um, is still, he is sweating through his clothing and everything and um, while he's in jail. And we see that he and Tyrone are in a lineup with all of these other inmates and they're kind of going through and saying like, can you work? And if they respond, yes, sir, then they're able to work. Um So then they get to um, Harry and they see that Harry's arm is just completely, he's just saying, my arm, my arm. And the, you know, the, the correctional officers pull him out of the line and we are starting to hear. um, So obviously this is the iconic scene of literally everything happening all at once. (laughs) So we have Harry on a hospital bed and he is being taken into, um, to the hospital room and we hear the doctors say like oh he's gonna he's gonna be dead in a week like if we can't get or you know if we're gonna have to cut it off from the shoulder and I was just like oh my god this is so gross (laughs) um so then we have the last part of the iconic sequence of um the saw going into Harry's arm and the blood spattering on his face um, and then in his next scene, um, we see the camera slowly pan back and I'm already ready to see that he has no arm. His arm is completely bandaged. Um, he doesn't have his arm from right below the shoulder all the way down. He's got nothing. Um, 
And then a nurse comes in when he awakens and she's just like, she's talking to him and he's asking for Marion and the nurse is saying like, oh, she'll come, she'll come. And um, Harry's just like, no, she's not coming. So then his last scene in this movie is him laying in the hospital bed, just in tears, just sobbing. Um, So that is his last scene. And I, I want to assume, I, I hope to assume that because he lost his arm due to heroin, that he gets clean. Um, but I don't know. So that's his last scene of, of the movie. Um, oh, and also, um, he's also hallucinating too. He's hallucinating that he is on the boardwalk uh, with Marion before the camera pans back and he has no arm, which I thought was very sad because he had hallucinated twice um, with Marion being on the boardwalk and her hair just, you know, flowing behind her. So extremely, extremely somber, extremely sad uh, part of the movie. Um, so now we're moving on to my favorite character of the whole movie sarah the mother the wife the um speed junkie without even knowing it um her character is played by emma bernstein who i love so we are first introduced to sarah as the mother of harry who seems a little complacent you know she seems to be very like oh i give my son like what he wants um and she goes back to the pawn shop the next day and she buys back the tv that her that her son had sold the previous day for drugs and you know the pawn shop owner is like you know sarah you should really just call the cops on him and she's like oh i'm not gonna do that like he's my son (laughs) um so we also know that Sarah lives lives alone in an apartment building in Brooklyn, and it seems like the building is also um, full of ladies her age. So, you know, so I'm going to say like probably 55 or older, 65 or older, um, and it seems she's kind of a loner. She lives alone. She doesn't – she has a couple friends in the building, but nothing really to add to her life, um, and – the one thing we know about Sarah is that she is addicted to this paid programming um, television show that she's, that's the only thing that she watches. And she also likes candy. So within the first scene, she's sitting in her apartment and she's watching this very strange paid programming advertisement infomercial thing. Um And I am not even really particularly sure what it's about. All I know is that they pick they they pick winners and they pick contestants who become winners to get prizes. Um, But he's also a motivational speaker, um, and it's called Juice. So I'm not obviously it's it is what it is. It's it's a paid programming strange television show that she seems to be obsessed with. And as I said, she also likes sugar, so she likes to sit in front of her TV watching this paid programming and eating candy. Um, and she covets his candy. So we can tell that she is addicted to sweets and she's addicted to whatever this, this television show is. Um, so she's coming back to her apartment and she's trying to fix the antenna on top of her TV to try, uh, and watch her strange paid programming show. Uh, and the phone starts ringing, but she kind of ignores the, the phone ringing and then, um, she's annoyed by it, but then she goes and picks it up. And she finds out that she is going to be entered into uh, the drawing to be on television. Um, and that seems to be her biggest goal right now is that she's so excited because she can she's going to be on television. Um, so she goes and she starts to talk to her friends about it in the building. And it seems like she's starting to get a little popular. Um But before all this happens, um, Harry does come over and we see that they have... She loves her son very much, and um, we also am not 100% sure if her husband left them or if uh, he died. I want to assume that he left them, but I'm not 100% sure when or where or what time frame he did because she seems to be completely just not move past the fact that she's basically been abandoned and that she's extremely lonely. 
So obviously I already start to feel for this character because all she wants is to, you know, live a happy life and for her son to be successful and for her son to, um, you know, get married and have a baby. So it seems like she really wants a grandchild as well. Um, so anyway, she gets this call that she's going to be, um, almost maybe be a contestant on television and she starts to want to change her appearance a little bit more. She wants to wear this red dress that she wore to Harry's um, high school graduation. So after she gets the phone call, uh, she goes into her bedroom and she finds this dress, which she also covets too. So she takes it out of the closet and she tries to zipper up the back of it, but it seems she can't really get it at the angle. So she calls one of her friends over and, um, you know, her friends and, and remember guys, they're all older ladies, <laughs> um, to help her put the back of the, to put the dress on and, um, you know, her friend trying to, to spare her feelings a little bit says, I have this great dye book for you. So then we have Sarah reading this book and it's basically telling her you can have like one grapefruit, one cup of coffee and a hard boiled egg, no sugar, no dressing, no nothing for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, and it's, it's extremely hard for her because she can't have any sugar and she loves candy as I had mentioned. Um, so then um, we also hear that one of her friend's friends um, in, who lives in the building called this doctor to, and she got on diet pills and she lost 25 pounds. Um, so as Sarah is trying to fight this hunger, she's trying to do this diet and she's just getting, she's literally hallucinating like cupcakes and donuts coming out of her ceiling. Um, and she's just envisioning all of these different plates of food that she wants to eat. She can't have it because she wants to lose weight. She wants to fit in her red dress. So she looks beautiful on television. Um, she then gets up in the middle of the night after she can't even sleep because she's so hungry and she calls her friend and she's like, give me the number to that doctor. I need diet pills. Um, so in her next scene, we see her at the doctor's office and she's being weighed and, um, she's very sassy too. Like I really liked her character, like the things she was saying and the doctor comes in, this very sleazy doctor comes in and it's just like, Oh, so I hear you want to lose weight. She's like, yeah, I want to lose some weight. <laughs> and the, literally the doctor doesn't even look up at her. He goes over to the table, writes her, her down a uh, prescription and he says, here you go. These are for you. And then walks out. <laughs> so then we find out that she has to take four pills a day. She takes one in the morning, one in the, during lunchtime, one for dinner time, and then one at night. Uh, and the green one is the one that she takes at night, what helps her go to sleep. So, um, Obviously, if you if you guys are familiar with diet pills, it's basically like crack. Um, it raises your heart rate. Um, it suppresses your appetite, and you cannot sleep. And I do have experience with this because when I was younger and I wanted to lose weight, I thought it would be a good idea to try diet pills. But fuck that. I will never do that again. This is a little PSA from your girl, Crystal. If you want to lose weight, <laughs> if you're listening and you want to lose weight, don't use diet pills. Do not use them. Do not touch them. Do not go near them. They are bad. Just eat right and exercise. Do not ever use diet pills. Please don't touch those things. They're so fucking dangerous. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, so she starts taking these pills and she gets an immediate effect because it's basically like prescribed speed. Um, it's, it's basically a prescribed amphetamine. Um, and it's starting to give her the side effects of racing around her house, cleaning, organizing. Um, she's decluttering everything. Um, her jaw starts to, she starts to grind her teeth. Um, so basically she's on uppers at this point. Um, and the green pill that she takes at night is a downer that helps her go to sleep. Um, so then we move on to, um, to her rejoicing in the fact that she has lost weight. She also um, is starting to be more accepted by the women in her building because she has the potential to be on TV. Um, so it seems like they gave her like the perfect spot outside because they all tan. Um, that's also a pretty iconic scene in the beginning of the film. It's just these line of late, these line of older ladies Um outside of their their apartment building tanning and um when they find out that sarah could possibly be on tv they gave her the best spot in between all of them 
So, um, we see that Sarah has successfully lost 25 pounds and, um, she looks great. She's, she's, she's very skinny. Um, so then we have, uh, Harry who comes and visits her and is basically, she's saying, Oh, don't I look great? Like, and she's very frantic. She's very scatterbrained. She's very up and down. Mind you, she's still on these, these, dieting pills because they're they're working um and harry's kind of looking at his mom and he sees that she he hears her grinding her teeth and he's like ma like you're on uppers you know i can hear you grinding your teeth all the way from over here and she's like no like they're great like they changed my life for the better she's like i'm gonna be on tv and then she kind of goes into this whole um spiel about how she's lonely and how, you know, this is something to her to look forward to is being on TV and he wants, and she wants her son to be happy for her. And she's saying she lost all this weight and she was given the good spot with all the old ladies in the front of the building. And, you know, she's saying ever since Seymour left, who is Harry's father and her her husband or ex-husband, you know, she's like, all I wanted was, you know, for this. And, and I wish that he could see me now and how, how good I look and, and how great you're doing. And because she says, she keeps telling Harry that, you know, I want, I want to have a grand, a grandbaby. I want a grandson. And, um, Harry's basically just warning her. He's like, no, you have to stop this. Like you have to get off these drugs. Like these aren't good. This is not good for you. Um, this is not okay. And she's saying like, oh, what do you know? What do you think you know more than the doctor? And he's just like, no, Ma, like you need to stop. Like these aren't good for you. And then he basically gives her uh, a present and he says, I got you a big TV. Um, and in her next scene, we see that she is getting accustomed to the pills. And she's calling the doctor and she's saying, um, she's saying, oh, these aren't working anymore. Like you gave me the wrong dosage and the nurse is saying like, no, it's the same thing. Your body's just getting used to it. Like everything is fine. This is normal. Um, she does eventually start taking multiples at the same time. So not, and so now she's taking, you know, all three pills at the same time. And then I think at one point she starts, she starts taking all four pills at the same time because, you know, your body gets accustomed to things and then you have to, as a drug addict, if you, I, I, you know, there's so many documentaries I've watched and the heroin addict always says, you know, it's never as good as the first time. And every time you shoot up, you always try to reach that first high that you ever felt. And it's kind of the same thing that she's doing that Sarah is doing with the diet pills now, because she's trying to get the same effect as she was getting previously. And, but it's causing her mental well-being to just be totally fucked. Um, and she's having crazy fucking hallucinations. Um, she's hallucinating that the refrigerator is trying to attack her. She's hallucinating the show is coming to life and that the the guy who is the, uh, the host of the show is... Um, is in her living room making fun of her. And it seems she's just having these insane hallucinations. Like her bed or her apartment is becoming a TV set. Um, she's hallucinating a million different things all at one time to the point where she is out wandering the streets of New York. She's getting on the subway. She's, she's going to the television studios and she's saying on the way there, she's saying, I'm going to be on television. I'm going to be on television. Seymour and Harry are going to be so happy for me. And She's just so fucked up and hallucinating shit out of her mind. She does make it to the television studio. And when she gets there, she's saying the same thing. She's like, when are you going to tell me I'm going to be on? When, when am I going to be on television? You know, when are you going to tell me when I'm on? When are you going to call my name? And, um... And obviously the woman in the front desk sees that she is completely frazzled. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm like 99% sure at this point, Sarah is actually in her red dress. Um, and it's just like hanging off of her. So she has lost a shit ton of weight. Like she looks terrible in the beginning of the movie or in the beginning of her story. Uh, her neighbor had helped her dye her hair red because she wanted red hair to match her red dress and she was going to wear golden shoes. Um, so then we have her, um, her hair just, she's just completely disheveled guys. Like she just looks terrible. Um, so she's at the television studio and she's talking to the lady in the front and the lady in the front is obviously very alarmed. She calls security, security comes, takes her and she basically throws her into the psych ward. Um, so while she's in the psych ward, they're trying all these different things. They're trying to force feed her and she's not eating. Um, they try to shove a tube down her throat. She's not having it. Um, 
and she's just completely whacked out of her mind. And they basically do ECT on her, um, which is where the other very, very, very sad and iconic scene of her with the mouth guard in her mouth so she doesn't swallow her tongue and the instruments at the temples of her head and she's just being electrocuted. Um, And then we have her story end with her in the psych ward. All of her hair is cut off and she's laying in bed and she's still hallucinating that she's on this television show and we see kind of the lights around her. And this point, at this point, guys, like when I see that Sarah's completely mental well-being is just distracted, just, just completely just gone. Um, I did start to cry a little bit. I'm going to admit it guys. Like (laughs) this movie gets you right in the feels. Like I, all of my Twitter, the people that were talking to me on Twitter and they told me how, um, you know, this movie is get you right in the feels. It really does. Because when I saw Sarah laying in that bed, hallucinating that her son was perfect and that, that he was going to get married and that she was hallucinating herself on TV in a beautiful red dress and her hair, she looked beautiful. And we see that she is just completely out of her fucking mind. Um, that's kind of where I lost it and it made me very sad. And I, I, she's still my favorite character because I think I felt the most for her, her and Marion. Um, I mean, they, but like I said, they each have their own individual stories interconnected and interchanged within each other. But Sarah's is probably the most heartbreaking is what I want to say. Um, because she went to the doctor's. To, to try and lose a couple pounds so that she, so that when she could go on TV and make, you know, her friends and her family proud. Um, and then it just completely just, she lost her mind because, because of these drugs. And, um, this is why this movie is so brilliant guys, because it shows so many different facets of how people can get addicted to drugs. And it shows all of these different, Ways and it shows how junkies on the street can be just as bad as the people who are getting prescribed this medication, which is they're literally getting prescribed opiates, heroin, which is which is literally what heroin addicts get. Um, and I'm going to tell you a quick story because I, when I was 25, I dislocated my. Um, my left kneecap and yes, extremely painful. It still likes to click when it rains, but I'm also, I like to blame that on my knees. Not that I'm old. (laughs) So anyway, um, I was prescribed tramadol, which is a form of an opiate. And I remember taking it and it was the only thing that could make me fall asleep. And after I was not prescribed that anymore, I had like not super crazy, um, side effect or not super crazy. Like, um, what's the word I was craving it. Um, I wasn't or fiending like, but I did feel, uh, an effect after I, after I finished the tremadol, I, I felt like I needed it to fall asleep. And mind you, this was five years ago. So I'm, I'm not, I didn't, you know, fall into, you know, I'm not, I'm not a pill popper or anything, but I was, I, I was given a very, very small, small taste of what it's like to, for somebody to fall into being a drug addict. And I saw how easy it was because all I had to do was call my doctor and say, Hey, my knee still hurts. I need more pain medicine. And he would have given it to me. No, I did not because, um, I was scared at that point. I was a little scared because I felt as if I depended on it to fall asleep and and to the point where I would go very many nights not sleeping because I, I wasn't taking the, the painkillers. So it just shows you that even someone that, that drug addiction is not, um, it's not, uh, it's not a stereotype of someone. It's not, um, it's not prejudice against anybody. It literally attacks the most famous people, the richest famous people to the most low life person, homeless person. 
Drug addiction does not care who you are or how much money you have. Because even if you are a normal person, and you guys have seen Intervention, you've seen how many times, how many of those shows start with someone saying, oh, I was, you know, I was an all-star track runner, football player. I was on the, you know, the 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 way to, to getting a scholarship to go here and there because of, of baseball. And then I broke my leg when I was playing football. And then I was prescribed um, Oxycontin. And then these kids get addicted to the Oxycontin, and they, but they can't get the pills anymore. So then they start buying it illegally. And then it gets too expensive. So then they start taking, you know, they go to the, to the level down and then they try that and then ultimately it's heroin so it's just like it's like drug addiction has no boundaries it doesn't it doesn't care who you are and I think that Requiem for a Dream plays into this so well because we have these you know very stereotypical junkies but then we have the the rich girl who is, you know, being fed money by her father. And then we have the elderly woman who just wants to drop a couple pounds to make herself feel better, getting addicted to speed. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoy this movie. I love movies that stick with you. I love movies that mess with your, make you think about things and make you think about the world. Um, And obviously I love horror movies, but psychological mental illnesses and psychological horror is something that I've always been really into and something that I've always... Um, interested me a lot because I feel like it's it's something that you truly truly cannot explain and how the mind is so powerful and how addiction is so 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 powerful um, and how you know addiction is not a self-induced mental disorder Ment- drug addiction is a mental disorder you can find it in the DSMR um, and how it does not give a shit about you at all. The only thing it cares about is ravaging you and literally taking everything from you. So I think this is why I enjoy this movie so much is because it just makes you think and it's, and it just tells you, you know, like it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter, you know, how you feel about drugs. It, it really doesn't matter. It also plays into how fucked up the health system is and how fucked up doctors are that, you know, they're, they're finding ways to just pump you full of pills. I mean, the guys, there are so many documentaries out there about how, um, how the prescription, uh, health system, healthcare has gone like quadrupled in the last few years and how like, instead of, you know, sitting and talking with somebody, um, they're just giving you a whole bunch of medication and it's just so fucked up. And this movie came out almost 20 years, 2000. Yeah. Almost 19 years ago it came out. And the problems that are happening in this movie are still happening every single day. And, um, I think the movie is great. I think that everybody should watch this movie at least once. Um, there's just so many factors in this movie, and I think that it was done very well. I understand the hype now, and um, I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but <laughs> this podcast is super long. Um, but I, I just I wanted to make sure that I got every single one of my points in there, and I wanted to make sure that I that I touched on all the things that I saw in this movie. And there's I know that there's a million thousand other things I'm sure that I missed, but I wanted to make sure that. I focused on each of the characters individually and really talked about them and really talked about the things that were going on in their lives and how drugs literally ripped apart all these people. Now, my prediction is that um, Sarah will die in the psych ward. Marion will probably either get clean or continue her ways. Um, I want to assume Harry's going to get clean because of his arm, and I want to assume um, that Tyrone hopefully gets clean because he's going to be, he's, you know, he's going to be in jail for a while, depending on what happens to him, or he's just going to rot in jail for the rest of his life. So there is no happy ending in this movie, guys. There is literally not one part of this movie that is happy. Um, it is sad. It is depressing. It gets you in the feels and, you know, so this movie is a hundred percent not happy, but it is something that unfortunately has happened before the movie, is happening after the movie, it'll happen for the rest of our lives as long as we're on this earth and drugs are still available. Um, I don't think that there's anything else I have to say about this movie other than the fact that you should go watch it if you have not seen it. And if you have seen it, I hope that you enjoyed my analysis of this whole movie. Um, 
And I also um, just wanted to talk about some of the visual styles of the movie. Um, there was lots of tracking um, and very... Um, there's lots of like a handheld camera kind of thing. Um, and also Darren, but Darren Aronofsky is known for these things. And of course we have the extreme close-ups. Um, I did mention on Twitter before I started watching this movie that, um, the close-up effects of everything reminded me of spun. Um, but (laughs) this movie is a lot, uh, more depressing, depressing than the movie spun. So if you liked the, um, the technical side of, of Requiem for a Dream, um, you'll probably like the movie Spun. Um, it's kind of the same idea. It, it's got a bunch of different characters. They're all junkies. Um, I think that their drug of choice is crystal meth, though, not heroin. And I was also reading that in Requiem for a Dream, they never say the word heroin. And I actually did listen for it, and I didn't find it. <laughs> um, so I think that's all I have <laughs> for you guys. Um... I hope that you enjoyed my very in-depth character analysis of Requiem for a Dream. Um, I apologize if I missed anything, but I hope I did it justice. I was very nervous recording this, and I must have restarted and started this podcast like four times because I just wanted to make sure that I did it the right way, and I gave it justice because I know so many people know this movie, and I know so many people love this movie. And um, yeah, so there you have it. My honest and horrific opinion on Requiem for a Dream. Do you like this movie? Did you hate it? What are your thoughts on it? Let me know. Um, tweet me. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Horror Nights in a podcast with me, Crystal. Uh, please remember to follow my podcast on whatever app you use. And if you could please rate me on iTunes a five out of five or whatever you see fit, leave me a comment too. Um, if you enjoyed my show, uh, it just helps other people find my show that also enjoy it. So I greatly appreciate it. And um, Yes, thank you guys for absolutely changing my life by picking Rec Room for a dream. (laughs) So uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and I will uh, talk to you guys um, next week. All right, guys. Uh, See ya. Bye.